I realized that this morning is going to be um, a little bit different than how we usually go through things, but uh, you'll see what I mean when we get to it. So, Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1. If you have a white or blue Bible that we handed you, like the one I have up here, it's page 542. 542. So, here we go. Verse 1. And when he had parted, so this is the Apostle Paul here. He's on a missionary journey uh, heading back to Jerusalem from kind of the Aegean Sea area, Ephesus. And when he had parted from there, he set sail and came by straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And when they found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come to the side of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we set sail to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the bench, we prayed and sailed and said farewell to one another. And we went on board the ship, and they returned home. So this ship is kind of working its way through the Mediterranean Sea, kind of from Greece area down to Jerusalem area, if you're wondering. In verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, I'm telling you right now that this is going to be different than the way we usually do things. You're going to have to hang with me a little bit on this one because it's not a normal Sunday in terms of working through the scripture. We are going to work through the first part of chapter 21. But today, I'm going to have to pull in kind of some pieces from other parts of the Bible, which I usually don't do. I usually am a firm believer that we can study the text and the text can speak to us. But the issue that we're going to talk about this morning is going to require a bigger picture pulling of uh, more ideas from other parts of scripture to get an idea of what the Bible teaches as a whole. And here's why I think this is necessary. Read verse 9 with me. He had four, and so this is Philip. So this is Philip, if you remember from Acts chapter 6, when they were having some issues at the very beginning of the church, they uh, elected seven deacons to kind of represent the church in the handing out of uh, rations to widows. Uh, but they became these pillars in the church, in the early church. And Philip, it says, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, you might read that and think, okay, cool, no big deal, four unmarried daughters that prophesied. But... Uh, that would be incorrect because prophecy is very clearly a gift of the Spirit utilized in Scripture, and we have it clearly defined for us. In fact, I'm going to throw it up on the screen so we don't get any uh, misunderstanding ideas here. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to highlight this verse, this is kind of, it's, it's a good foundational verse for you to understand. So Paul here is writing a letter to a church in Corinth, and he's going to give us a great definition of prophecy. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues so that the church may be built up. So prophecy is this gift given by the Holy Spirit 
to speak to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement for the purpose of building up the church. That was, that's what prophecy is, okay? And this, is, uh, this has been a gift that has been given for a long time. Uh, prophets in the Old Testament had the same idea. They were speaking to the people on behalf of God for their upbuilding, right? So this has been a gift as long as the people of God have been around. And it says here that women have the gift of prophecy. And that's a thing. Okay, now actually, it's not just women. Men have it too. I feel like most of what I do on a Sunday morning is prophecy. I'm speaking to you for your upbuilding and encouragement. Hopefully, you know, you guys can, yeah, he doesn't do a good job. But whatever, right? I'm trying to build up the church. That's the whole point of me speaking to you right now. So the question becomes, should women be doing this? And that's a big question in the church. And I'm sorry if this is your first Sunday and you're like, wait, it's never like this. But I do feel like at this point in time, we need to address it. Because what happened is three years ago, uh, I had Megan teach on a Sunday morning. Um, and I was gone and Megan taught and it went great. And I got back and I had some weird, weird reactions to me having Megan teach. And, and some of the people on one side were like, hey, I'm so glad that we don't listen to those stupid old domineering patriarchy verses of the Bible. They're so outdated, and I'm glad we don't listen to those. And I was like, wait, there aren't any verses in the Bible that we don't listen to. Like, I, like and people were real excited about it, but I was like, we're not on the same page. Like, I want to make sure I follow every single verse in the Bible. I don't think there are any verses in the Bible that are outdated, and I don't think there are any of the verses in the Bible that advocate for, like, an abuse of patriarchy or male leadership. Like, so... We aren't on the same page there. And then on the other side, I had some people that were like, I don't know, man, you young guys, like, don't care about theology. Don't read your Bible a lot. You know, just kind of do whatever you feel like doing. I was like, well, that's not what happened, right? Like, I did this because I read my Bible. Like, I read the women prophesy. It's in here. So I wasn't ignoring my Bible. I was trying my best to do what's in my Bible. So um, I got back and I was talking with my buddy, Dominic Hernandez, who is on our board. Uh, he's a professor at Biola right now. And uh, he said, how'd it go? And I go, well, Megan did great. Uh, but I had some weird reactions from the people. He said, do this. Don't have her do it again until you clarify exactly where your stance is. So that's what this morning is going to be. This is how we, me, my beliefs, my leadership team, uh, this church is going to stand on this issue. And maybe you didn't know this was an issue. Uh, I apologize if this is going to get a little more technical and luxury than normal, but that's what we're going to do. Uh, some of you, as I say that, are like, well, why don't you just write it on the website and then it'll be solved. Like, that would be way easier. Uh, that is not how we choose to do ministry uh, in the world that we live in. Uh, the reason being one of our core values is relationship. And I believe strongly uh, that the, our, we should lead with love as Christians. Jesus said they will know you are Christians by your love. And so I don't want to write anything on the website that would cause somebody to read a statement and be like, oh, I'm not accepted there. They wouldn't love me here. Because there is nobody that you, we would not love or accept at this church. Like, 
Now, there are areas that we have strong conviction on sin and believe the Bible says something clearly about, but I'm not going to write that on the website so you just look at the website and decide, hey, I'm not going to go into Riverstone Chapel. I would like you to walk into Riverstone Chapel and feel the people here love you. I would like Krista to give you a hug and Sarah to say high five and Ben to give your kids knuckles. And like, I want you to feel that as the first step in understanding who we are as Christians and believers more than just reading a sentence on our website and deciding it's not for you, okay? So that's why we do, and some of you have kind of run into that and you've been like, well, I kind of want to know what you think. And if you do want to do that, you send me an email and I have a statement of faith that's all ready and I just fire off the email. But we've had people before that have gone to the coffee shop, coffee shop next door or the hotel and they're like, hey, there's a church. What do you guys think about this? And I say, you're welcome at our church. Come, let us love on you. Because let's say, let's say we had a sentence on there is like, we think divorce is a sin. Right? Well, some single mom with four kids is just looking for Jesus to love on her a little bit. And she reads that on our website. She's like, I'm not going there. They're not going to accept me. And that's false. There's a bunch of women here who would readily embrace you. And I'm sorry for the hurt and the pain that you go through. Nobody goes through divorce without scars on both sides. And I don't want you to just think, hey, they said they're against divorce. And so I'm not going to go to that church because that is false. We will love on you. We will show you the kindness of Jesus. If at some point the Holy Spirit leads us to address sin in your life because of the divorce, we will do that when God calls us to. But that's not our first step. Jesus called us to let us know we're in this city. They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our doctrinal statements. So that's why it's not written on the website, and it never will be, although this uh, recording will be online if you ever want to reference this. So back to church leadership and how that impacts women in the church. Glad you asked. Here we go. If you open your Bible to the very beginning, you would watch God create every single thing that exists. And as God is creating everything, he is creating things in such a way, you will remember, since we went through the book of Genesis, that communicates something about himself. So he creates light, and it communicates something about himself. He creates plants, and the way they grow communicates something about himself. He creates food, and the way it interacts with the body, it all communicates something about himself. And as he's doing this, the things that he is creating are getting more and more complex, and the final creation takes place and it says God creates man in his own image. So there's this huge jump at the final step of creation, and he doesn't just create a living, complicated thing, but he creates something that is actually in his own image. And he gets to man, and he's like, this is the pinnacle. This is the top of the line. This is as, as incredible of a creation as there is something created in my own image. But he looks down and he sees man by himself. He's like, that ain't good, right? Man should not be alone. And so he puts man to sleep and creates a rib and creates woman out of man, okay? So this is not like we're going up on the creative order and then we get to man and then like we keep going up and women are higher and we definitely don't go down and women are lower, though they're equal. Woman is created out of man. They're equal, Okay, took a rib, made a woman. So right at the beginning, first thing we know, women and men are equal. Now, I know it's, it shouldn't be shocking. Even though they're equal, they're different. Okay, they're not the exact same, but they are equal. There's urinals in the men's bathrooms. <laughs> Mic drop, right? Like point proven, okay? Like, I shouldn't, it shouldn't, I'm not going to spend any time on it, right? You trying with me? Not shocking, men and women are different, but equal. There's a bunch of differences. There's some really obvious ones. Women have babies, men don't. 
That's a responsibility that is given only to women. And so far, literally none of this should be controversial. Okay, this, we're just reading scripture at this point. So continuing on through the book of Genesis, we have Adam and Eve. Eve is called the mother of all living. That's a pretty high title. They disobey God eat fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, do the things that God told them not to do. And in the story, Eve eats first and gives some to Adam, and they both realize that what they just did was really bad. Now, when God shows up, he does something interesting. He says, Adam, what'd you do? He didn't say, Eve, what'd you do? Eve ate first. Like, if we want to go chronologically, we could have been like, Eve, why'd you give that to Adam? But he doesn't. Right? He says, Adam, what did you do? And so we infer from that, that right at the beginning, yes, they're both equal. Yes, they're both made in the image of God. Yes, they're one flesh, but there are differences. And within their equality, one of them, the man in particular, carries the primary responsibility for the woman. Right? And so we see that from the very beginning and the rest of the scripture. Like in the man-woman covenantal marriage relationship, the man carries the primary responsibility for the woman. We see over and over in scripture, God going to the man and being like, yo, what's the deal? Like your household. And we never see that with the woman where he comes to the woman and is like, hey, your husband's messed up and it's your fault. So we infer from that that there's this primary weight of responsibility carried by the man that is different than the woman. Again, shouldn't be controversial. Like women have the responsibility of carrying babies in pregnancy. Men have the primary responsibility of carrying the weight of accountability for the woman. It just happens. So if you keep going through your Bible, we will see that contrary to the culture around them, so when the Bible was written, the culture around them didn't value women at all. The Bible actually highly values women, which is very unique, not only for the time that it was written, but really for the entirety of human history, okay? So going through your Bible, we keep going. Exodus 15, we come to this very important woman named Miriam. Miriam is important because Miriam is unmarried and she is identified in your Bible as a prophetess. Okay? We already went over what prophecy is. So prophecy in the Old Testament was this position, this title, this office, where you were someone who was recognized that spoke to the people on behalf of God. So God would speak to a prophet. A prophet would speak to the people. That was the point of being a prophet. It's a little bit different than the priest, okay? The priest would speak to God on behalf of the people, okay? So you would represent the people before God. A prophet would represent God to the people. So if there was a message for the people, God would send it to a prophet. They would speak to the people. That's what Miriam was. And not only was she a prophet, but she writes a song at the end of Exodus 15 and sings it. And that song that she authored is in your Bible. So words that came from Miriam are in your scripture, okay? So if you're, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but if you're like, I'm a man, I don't receive from a woman, false, okay? There's scripture in there that was written by a woman, that was authored originally by a woman. There are words that God gave a woman to sing that are meant for your building up and your edification. So if you keep going... We end up with another prophet named Deborah. She's a woman. She's also the political and military leader of Israel, which is pretty unique for that time. And some dudes are like, well, yeah, that doesn't count because uh, there was no men like to do the job. Like that argument kind of backfires. If you think about it, like God's looking down, he's like, men are sucking at this thing. I'm going to send a woman to do it. That's actually worse for us. So maybe don't bring that up, right? If you're trying to like elevate the man over woman position, because that's just not in there, right? So Deborah is given this opportunity. 
Keep going in your Bible, you end up at the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is interesting, okay? Because Proverbs is this book that is all about wisdom. It's all about what it looks like to live wisely before the Lord. And it's 30 chapters of this is what it looks like to be wise. This is how wise people live. This is how God is glorified in wise living. These are the benefits of living with wisdom. And then at the end of the book, as part of sort of a summary of the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, the last chapter is a picture of a person who is living out this life of wisdom before God. So we have this example of what the wise life looks like. We have 30 chapters about wisdom. Now here's a real life example of what does it look like to embody godly wisdom in a life. And the example that concludes the book of Proverbs is a woman. Wait, what? Like the example of what it looks like to live with all the wisdom of the first 30 chapters of Proverbs is a woman? Yeah, it is. The summary, the example set for us is not a picture of wisdom and wise living being a man, but a woman. It's a Proverbs 31 woman. Now, I'm not sure that it's telling us that women are superior to men or wiser than men because we talked about equality, but Jesus, you know, Jesus did come as a man. God did choose his own pronoun, and it was a he. But if you hold the idea that men can't or shouldn't learn from a woman, then I don't know what you do with Proverbs 31. Or you just go, oh, that's for girls. I, I don't know that there's verses that God's like, this is only for girls. Anyone who thinks the Bible paints a picture of men being superior to women is wrong. It's just not in there, okay? Can women speak for God? Yes. Can they exhibit godly wisdom? Yes. Do they need to hear, like, do they need a man to hear from God? No. God can speak to women on their own. Can they have leadership gifts? Yes. Can they make decisions? Yes. Are they valued as equal with men? Yes, yes, yes. So over and over and over and over again, women can do the same exact things men can do in pretty much every single thing. And for the whole Old Testament, if we are asking, can women do this or not? The answer to every question is yes, over and over and over again until we get to the priesthood. And I don't know why, but when it comes to the priesthood, God says no. So you have this like, women are valued, women are leaders, women can hear from God, women can speak on behalf of God, women have authored things that end up in scripture. Can they be priests? No. Yes, 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 yes. No. I, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, does that mean women are inferior? No. Does that mean they're not gifted by God? No. Does that mean they're limited spiritually in any way? No. This isn't any sort of a commentary on the qualifications or limitations of a woman. It's just something God didn't call women to do. In my mind, it's very similar to the idea that the responsibility for carrying a child in the womb would be one that he only called women to, right? It's like, girls, you get this, men don't get to do it, right? Does that mean no men, like, has the ability to do that or, like, could handle it? Like, I mean, we could argue about that. All the ladies who have given birth are like, they couldn't do it. Maybe that's true, right? But it's just something he's called women to. And in the same way, the priesthood was just something he called men to do. So if you're reading through your Bible paying attention, the Bible is saying over and over, women can do everything the men can do. Then you hit the priesthood and it's like a record scratches. And it's like, wait, they can't do this? You've basically said they could do everything, God. You've given them gifts. You've spoken to people on your behalf. They've had prophecy. Like they've done everything. They've led people, but now they can't do this. Why would that happen? And for whatever reason, God says only men carry this 
Wait, then you move into your New Testament, and Jesus is a man, but he is on the same woman-affirming path as the Old Testament. We see Jesus' mother Mary writing a song, again, that's written in your Bible. So she authors words that are in your Bible that become scripture, right? Then her cousin Elizabeth prophesies. Then Jesus is born, and we see him talking to women, valuing women. One of the first missionaries in your entire Bible is a woman, right? When we get to John chapter 4, the woman at the well. And actually, I love this story because it says Jesus gets to the well, and he's got his 12 disciples around him. And he says, hey, guys, go get me food. So they go into the city to buy food, and there's a woman standing there. He talks with the woman for a little bit. Then she goes back into the city. While she goes back into the city, the disciples come back. And guess how many people the disciples brought back with them? None. They didn't bring one person back with them. And then they all turn around, and the woman has gone into the city, and it says she told everybody about Jesus and has brought them all back. It said the whole city came out to meet him. So, like, these 12 men go in, don't bring one person back to Jesus. This one woman goes in, can't stop talking about them, and the whole city, like, that's mission, that's evangelism, right? Unless I'm reading something wrong. Like, she goes in and brings everybody back. So, we keep going. Several women are involved in the story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, including being the first ones to witness the empty tomb. Then we move into the book of Acts, which we've been studying through. We see Lydia in Acts 16 taking a prominent role in the church in Philippi. And we see Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife duo that taught Apollos in Acts 18. Then we are, here we have Philip's daughters prophesying. Then if you wanted to keep going in your Bible, you would see Paul talking about women prophesying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, women prophesy in the church. This is how they need to do it. So it's almost the identical message from the Old Testament. Just like the Old Testament, the answer to the question about can women do this is over and over and over again, yes, until once again, we get to one thing. And just like in the Old Testament, there's only one thing in the whole structure that seems to be men only, and that in your Bible is called an elder, okay? Now, it gets a little bit, not foggy, uh, but you're like you're just going to have to hang with me on this one. When your Bible was originally written, it was originally written in Greek, most of it. New Testament we're talking about here, okay? So there was these positions set up within the church, and the highest one, the one that bore the primary responsibility for the health and the culture and the direction of the local body, the church, was called an elder, okay? So we would translate that in 2022 as pastor. That's kind of the translation when we went from Greek to English. Like there's a couple different words we could use, um, you know, different denominations. We, we call them Presbyterians or we call them bishops or whatever. We in our church would call them pastor. But that top level of leadership that bears the primary weight of responsibility for the culture, for the direction, for the church, like the people who are going to answer before God primarily for the church. I don't know why, but God said that needs to be men, just like the priesthood is men. So we see it in the marriage. The husband bears a responsibility for the wife. We see it in the family. The father bears responsibility for the household. And we see it in the church. A man bears a responsibility for the local church. Now, I've been very intentional about the language I've used so far. Because I've said, bears the primary weight of responsibility for. Another way to say it is, men will be the first to answer to God for their wives and households and local churches. I haven't used the word lead 
Because lead gets really convoluted and starts thinking about privilege and power and control. And we're not talking about any of that. It's way misrepresenting. When Jesus was talking about leading, he didn't talk about having power and control. He talked about serving others. So I intentionally and will continue to intentionally use the word carry the responsibility for or bear the responsibility for. Because I believe God is going to hold husbands accountable for their culture they created or allowed in their families. And I believe God is going to hold the elders or pastors, the men, accountable for the culture they created or allowed in the churches he called them to lead. So what does it look like to carry the weight of responsibility for something? Well, it does not mean that dudes get to make all the decisions, right? If you want to go to the picture here, a husband that leads his family well does not make all the decisions for his family, What if you're a husband and you're a terrible decision maker, right? What if you can't add two plus two, right? And your wife is a math whiz. Maybe you can't do anything financially. Maybe you just don't get it. It would be wise of you in the bearing well of the responsibility for your family to make the decision and say, honey, you need to handle all our money because I'm not good at it. Right? It doesn't mean you get to make all the decisions or do all the things. It also doesn't mean you just get to give her the things you don't want to do. Right? You get home, you kick your feet up, you watch the game with your favorite beverage, right? and you just like tell her what to do. That's not well. Right? I told you to get a hold of them kids. That's not bearing responsibility well. It doesn't mean you're playing video games well giving her responsibility and telling her what to do. The picture of what this does look like, the Bible tells us, is that when a husband does it well, when he carries the responsibility well, the Bible says your wife is like a fruitful vine flourishing within your house. Get that picture, right? That is the picture. When a man does this well, the Bible tells us, the woman is described as a fruitful vine flourishing. Please get that picture in your head. Thriving, healthy, growing, fruit-bearing, beautiful vine of a woman because the husband bore his responsibility well. And that, I think, is one of the biggest problems in our world right now is that men have just disregarded that responsibility and there's not near as much fruitful flourishing of women and wives and households as there should be because men have not borne that responsibility well. That's another soapbox I could go off on, but I think you all know that's true. Now, I'm not telling you if you're a woman that you need a man, otherwise you can't flourish, okay? Don't hear me say that. But I am telling you that the quickest way to make sure you don't flourish is to marry an ungodly man. So what does that mean for us? First off, I want desperately to do the things in a way that honors God, okay? So I'm not at all concerned about what everybody out there is telling me to do. I just don't care at all, okay? I really want to know exactly what God is saying through his word. So what we're always trying to do when we come to passages of scripture or issues within the scripture is we are trying to take the most amount of passages and make the most sense of them with the least amount of difficulties, okay? So if we're going to come up with an answer to this question on like what is the proper role of women within the church and how should the men lead the women so that they're flourishing within the church, I want to take the most verses 
verses that make the most sense out of the most verses with the least amount of difficulties. That's what I'm trying to do. For instance, if I have 10 verses that say this about women on this side, and then I have two verses that seem to say the opposite, well, I'm going to go with the 10 verses, and I'm going to say there's probably something I'm misunderstanding about the two verses. Does that make sense? So here's the way I read the Bible. There seems to be a God-honoring, household-thriving, intentional order to creation that calls men to bear the primary responsibility for the household and the church. So for us in this church, those are the pastors, and the position of pastors is limited to a man. Now, I also look at the Bible, and I see women speaking publicly in evangelism and for the building up of the church and authoring words that end up in Scripture and being recognized as prophets and being called, called by God to speak to the people on his behalf. So if women are called and gifted by God to do this, when and where do they do this is the question. This is the question every church has had to answer for, and when the church has answered the question, they usually fall into one of four categories, okay? I'm going to throw a little graphic up on the screen. This might help you. It might not. They're big words. I apologize, but this is just how people have chosen to name the things, right? On the left-hand side of your screen, you have feminism. Uh, there's some... In all of these four categories, these are generalizations. I get it, but it's just kind of how it plays out, right? In all four of these categories, there are some truth, okay? So I don't, I don't, I don't look at them and like, they're way off. No, there's some reasons behind it, right? Feminists, like, for the most part, they believe what they believe because men have screwed it up, and I'm with them on that, right? Men have screwed a lot of it up, okay? Now, their conclusions on that, we could differ on that, and I think a lot of the stuff there are wrong, but they're not completely ridiculously insane, okay? The other side, the patriarchy, the women shut up, silent in the church group, I think you're stupid too, okay? Now, there's some stuff, okay, that I would be like, hey, they get that right. They're not wrong on this, but for the most part, we would be way off. Now, the two in the middle are the biggest, most weirdest words, and it's just the way that it plays out. I'm sorry. Egalitarian is the idea that men and women are completely equal. There are no differences within leadership within the church. Anything a man could do, a woman could do, women could lead, pastor, there's no lines, there's no difference. Complementarian would be the idea that men and women have different roles, and their different roles complement one another. That's where the name comes from, complementarian, okay? So we would be in the complementarian camp, okay? More specifically, we would be in what was called the male elder complementarian. So the different role within the church that I see only a man called to is the role of pastor, the one who bears the primary responsibility for, answering for, is called by God to be accountable for the culture they allow and grow within the church. That falls on a man primarily. So what does that mean for us? Historically, I think the church has done a poor job of executing what God is actually trying to accomplish by creating differences between men and women. And I don't know if you could look back on the big picture of church history and say that men have led churches where women in that church were flourishing. And that bums me out. I, I don't know historically if men have led churches where women could be described as thriving, fruit-bearing vines. And I think that's a problem. So when I look at our church and I see women gifted and called by God to build up and encourage a church, we are going to make space for those women to use their gifts. 
We're going to make space for that. There will be times when we have a woman speak on a Sunday morning because they are gifted and called by God, and we need to encourage that gifting and calling in our woman. That's just what I believe because I read it in the scripture. And if you show up on a Sunday and there's a woman teaching, it's not because the pastor decided to ignore the Bible. It's because that's what we read in the Bible. Somebody say amen to that. Okay? It's not because I was just like, ah, culture says, I don't give a rip about culture. We're countercultural, right? But I also don't want to bow to you guys going like, well, we've never done it like this before. Like, because that's a culture, a church culture, right, that has gone for a long time, right? And so, so many churches, because they don't want to make mad what we've done before, they just, okay, well, we'll only have men teach on a Sunday because that's safer. Like, do you see any parts of Scripture where Jesus is like, do the safe thing? Is that, like, is that what he's saying? No, do the thing that he's called you to do. Now, as pastors, like, I just can't imagine one day standing before God, and he says, how do women feel about the church you lead? And I go, I don't know. I didn't ask them. Like, does that not? Like, hey, are they thriving? And uh, um, I think so. Right? Like, if God was speaking to me in this, he's like, you thought bearing the responsibility for this church just meant telling the women what to do and never asking for their wisdom and input? That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. So as pastors, one of our responsibility is seeing that women are encouraged and blessed and thriving in this church. So you will find women having a voice in leadership all over the place at this church. Women are involved in the decision-making, at the culture shaping. When we developed our core values, women were involved in that conversation. When we talked about developing our mission statement, women were involved in that process. Our lead team is half men, half women. We believe there are women here who are gifted by God to encourage the church from the scriptures, and they will be sharing on Sunday mornings. So I was talking with some friends about this this week, and there were a few questions that came up. So I'm going to hit them in my last four minutes. So maybe you don't send me an email. But I'm not scared of emails, right? If you want to send me an email and argue, my email is joe at... <laughs> I should take that out of the podcast. Um, no, I'm fine, right? I've studied, I've looked through this. Like, I'm not, like, careful or concerned or worried that, like, you're, like, I, I know what the scripture says, okay? So if you want to have a discussion with this, I'm fine with having a discussion on this. Here's the question. First question I got from my friends. You think it's okay for a woman to teach on a Sunday? I don't think the Bible gives clear instruction on who does or does not give a sermon on Sunday. I just don't see that. I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. I do see the Bible giving clear instruction on who can and cannot be an elder or a pastor. Okay? So the question for me becomes, is it appropriate for only pastors to teach on a Sunday morning? Or can people who aren't pastors teach on a Sunday morning? Because if people who aren't pastors can teach on a Sunday morning, then it could be a woman. And I see lots of churches who let people who aren't pastors of that church or any church teach on a Sunday morning. So it shouldn't be limited by gender. The only stipulation I see in the scriptures is that the position of pastor and elder falls to a man only. So, that's the first thing. Isn't there a verse, the second question, that says women can't teach men and women are supposed to be quiet in the church? Aren't there some verses that say that stuff? Yes, there are. But there's also 
20 some odd women in the church who are given the gift of prophecy and who have written scripture or whose scripture is written about or the Proverbs 31 woman who is an example who I believe men should learn from. So if I got all this weight of evidence and practical examples, including the thing we just read in Acts 21 of four women who prophesy for the upbuilding of the church, all this example, and then I have two verses that say women be silent in the church and do women don't teach men. I'm going to say that those two verses I'm probably misunderstanding. And I'd spent a lot of time studying those two verses this week. The first one where it says women be silent in the church, I think it was probably a cultural issue. Like there was some things going on in there where Paul was like, hey, you women are interrupting. It wasn't just like, all women everywhere need to shut up all the time. I think it was women in that particular church were interrupting what was going on. And so he was saying to that church, hey, you guys need to be quiet because what you're doing right now is not appropriate. And then the second one where it says women do not teach a man or give uh, discipline to a man. I think that's more of a discipline authority over men thing. I don't think it's a, hey, don't listen to a thing woman says. In fact, if you're a man and you're like, women aren't supposed to teach a man, go tell your wife that. See how she thinks about it, right? Because I think that's ridiculous to be a husband and be like, I know that God probably encouraged you from the scriptures, but don't tell me any of it because you're not allowed to teach me. In fact, don't tell anybody any of it. That doesn't seem right. Does it? Like if, if, if your wife came to you, I was so blessed this morning. I was reading through my devotions and God just really put this on my heart. Stop. Paul does not permit a woman to teach a man. I just, I don't see it. Okay. So um, what if you get one of these women up here, Jared, who just want to control things and their whole deal is they just want control. That's why they want to teach on a Sunday. As pastors, we bear the responsibility for the church. We take that very seriously. So we pray through and think seriously about who we ask to teach on a Sunday morning. Like whoever we put up here on a Sunday morning better not be doing it out of a desire for control, men or women. Okay? So that's not a gender thing at all. Like this is a character thing. Like we're not going to put people up here who are not loving what God loves. Okay? So... If the pastor answers for the culture they allowed, then who they put on stage is a big thing, okay? And that's a character thing. That's not a gender thing. Last question. I'm a woman, and I go to Riverstone Chapel. What am I allowed to do? I hate that question. Don't ask me that question because it's a terrible question. (laughs) What am I allowed to do? Okay? It's an awful question. The question you should be asking is, What is God calling me to do? What has God gifted me to do? Okay, that's the question you should be asking. If you're a woman, don't spend one second thinking about what the men in this church would or would not allow you to do. You don't need to worry about what men are not allowing you to do. You need to worry about where the Spirit is leading you. Okay? Don't be like, I need to be allowed. You don't need to be allowed. You need to listen to what God is doing. And again, this is not a man, woman, gender thing. All of you need to be doing exactly what God is calling you to do, what the spirit inside of you is convicting you to do. Men are not the gatekeepers. We don't get to allow some things and not allow other things. We shouldn't run a church based on what men do or do not allow. We should run a church based on what the word of God and the spirit of God calls us to be in pursuit of. At the end of the day, 
I know that some of the people who hear this are going to think I'm compromising, soft theology, heretic. You're going to have women teaching in the church, which doesn't bother me too much. I'm open to having conversations about this, about the Bible, why I believe this. I'm not too worried about you thinking I'm a heretic on this issue because it's not because I'm disregarding the Bible. It's because I'm reading the Bible. Here's what I am worried about, though. I'm worried that there would be some 12-year-old girl at our church who would grow up in our church and never step into the gift and calling of God because the men of this church didn't cultivate a culture where women thrived in their gifting. That bothers me, right? If you come here and you're like, I just don't see it. Okay, fine, go somewhere else, right? But if you're a little girl or a young woman or an old woman and you come to this church and are never encouraged to step out of your comfort zone and into what God has called you to do, that would bum me out. That's a greater danger in my mind than you being mad at me because you think I'm a liberal, which, go ahead. Right? There's plenty of churches. If you want to find one, we'll never have a woman on stage. But it's not acceptable to me that women would grow up in this church and think that this idea of encouraging people from the scriptures is not for them. Or this idea of them being a leader is not for them. Right? I know women who have grown up in churches Right? And they were told, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And what they heard was, I'm not a leader. That's baloney. Right? Christians are all called to be leaders. If you are making a disciple, you're leading somebody. Right? So that's false. The conversations I had this week, one of the things that came up was that for both men and women, this uh, had the potential to be uncomfortable. And I think that's probably true about everything that God calls us to do well, right? That we should be uncomfortable. Like both men and women should have points of, like if we felt like doing everything God called us to do, then this Christian life would not be hard, right? But there's some things, like some of you women are like, I don't like that there's a thing I'm not allowed to do. <laughs> Again, don't say aloud, right? Yeah, well, you're called to have babies. Like, we're called to answer to God before him first, primary responsibility. Like, it's just, I, don't mad. You can be mad at me if you want, but it's just in the Bible, okay? And I get that's uncomfortable. And then there's some men who are like, I don't know if I want a woman teaching on a Sunday. It's uncomfortable. And I would, I would challenge you on that. Are you uncomfortable because you've never done it before? Or because you really read the scriptures and don't see anyone, anyone a woman, gifted by God to speak on his behalf, right? I get it. It might be different than what you have. If three weeks from now, I have my wife up here teaching on a Sunday, it's not because I looked around and was like, well, I didn't have anybody else. So, yeah, you get what you get. It's because I have confidence that she is going to encourage and build up the church like the gift of prophecy dictates in a way that nobody else will. Right? That I look around, she, she's gifted, and there's some 12-year-old girl that's going to watch her teach and be stirred in her heart because God has gifted that 12-year-old girl. And if I never have my wife teach, and I just say, yeah, women can do everything they want, but they never actually see it, then they're not going to believe it's true. So, the question in my mind at the end of the day is, do we love what God loves? Are we trying to do what God wants us to do, both men and women? At the end of the day, we're only going to put people on this stage who we believe this is true of, that they love what God loves. It might be uncomfortable. It might be uncomfortable for you. Some of you are just like, preach, 
go to next week, which I am happy to do. If you want to email or call this week or talk about this, that's fine. If you're in there like, I don't know why this is such a big deal, good. I'm glad that we're on the same page. This message is going to go on the website uh, so we can go with it. But we want to be a church who structures ourselves and loves what God loves for the thriving of both men and women so that his work is done in this city. That's what we're trying to do. We're not doing this because of cultural pressure, because it's easier, because we don't have any other options. We're doing it because this is what we read in the scripture. Amen? Let's pray.